Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Again, there, friends in Whitecaps land, and we're sorry we're a little bit late, but D. Antwerp are at UBC tonight. Traffic is horrendous, roads are closed, but I think we can all forgive Yolandi. Who? Yolandi. Yolandi Visser, lead singer of the Antwerp. You can forgive her for anything. No, okay. Not not today. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, what, I, you don't expect a concert at Sunday night here. No, like, don't expect night, road closures. Exactly. We were here. Every, we've been here every night and, and never had an issue no, with getting in or anything ever. like that. It's been dead usually every I, night. I don't know what's wrong with the two of you. I parked in the same spot we always park. Yeah, well, I, how, I, many, I got, how many? How many? Where did you have to wind around? I got to there, get there in the end. I only had to make one, maybe two real adjustments. But that's because yeah. you gave me the heads up. So. I only had to do a couple of U turns. Anyway, we yeah, are first, here the, now. The first one gets screwed because I had to park <laughs> in a totally different spot. See, arriving early counts for nothing. It's like possession with a white cap. It counts for nothing. <laughs> anyway, we're here now. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, broadcasting from the University of British Columbia on the unceded Musqueam Territory. If you're listening to this show on the podcast, this is episode 216. 216 and oh. Take that, Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> Mayweather, yeah. 216. 216 and oh. And still going. He's retired. We're still going. Yeah. Wait, is he retired? Well, I... until the next big money comes along. Yeah, right. But what a weekend it's been. Game of Thrones finale, I guess you guys haven't had a chance oh, I, to no, see I it. No, I watched it. I Fantastic. Thumbs up. It was oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I was wanting more. Hour and a half wasn't enough there. No, it wasn't. No. But two Whitecaps wins to talk about this weekend as well. Let's go back a little bit. We're not going to talk a lot about Wednesday's night's game against Seattle. We're going to talk a little bit about it, though. Didn't get a chance to do a preview show for the Orlando game. So we'll look back on the Seattle game just now. Gutsy fight back with 10 men. But at the same time, not not what you expect from a home Cascadia Derby. I think that's fair to say. Very, very disappointing. Especially the first half. Uh, I thought it was really, really poor. The other thing that was was kind of frustrating was after going down a man, after equalizing, there was moments after that where it felt like Everyone was okay with the draw, and uh, I personally was not okay with the draw. I, I did tweet out before the goal, right after Chani's sending off, that I would take a draw at that point. But there was moments late in the game where they didn't send people for corners, and they just held the ball, and they tried yes. to kill the game, which is understandable with Tevin. Don't get me wrong. I, I, it's fun. I understand why they did it. 
I just in a Cascadia Cup match, they needed to go for it. I would have I would have taken a win there the, the, as a, ahead of a win in Orlando. Oh yeah, I mean from K- Cascadia Cup standings point of view, you definitely wanted to do that. Put and one I, over against Western Conference and, opposition as and well. You expect them to get the win at home and not win when you you're do. going across the across the continent. But then th- this is what it all boils down to, and this is I think one of the biggest frustrations of the fan base right now is the inconsistency. Our friend, the goalkeeper on Twitter, Jonathan Tannenwald, had tweeted out last night after the win, oh, I wonder what Whitecaps yeah. fans are going to have to complain about this week, sarcastically. Genuinely, though, the inconsistency. You just yeah. do not know what you're going to get from this Whitecaps team from one game to the next. Yeah, whether you want to call it Jekyll, or Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde, whether you want to call it a roller coaster of a season, it's just... I we've called you, it all that so far yeah. in, the, in the first few months. It, it, it's it's just never-ending. You, you, you expect them to... That's why when when they lose a big game and the next game comes up, I'm almost expecting them to win or have a, a better performance. It's been six and a half, over six and a half seasons of being inconsistent. Yeah. But you want to hit form at the right time. And there are some signs there that, that it's happening. We'll, we'll kind of come to that over the, the course of the show. With the second team, the signs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is one of the things that I kind of have to, to address at some point as well. But there seemed a distinct lack of intensity until the double sub. Davies and Abini came on. Robo himself said after the first 10 minutes, he kind of felt it was a game that was maybe going to need a double substitution. But if the players cannot lift themselves for a game of that magnitude, putting aside the Cascadia Cup, which I know is hard for you to do, that, but yeah, put, never putting do that, that never aside, do that, Michael. You're playing the Western Conference leaders. Playoffs are so tight just now; every point counts. You cannot afford to come out for a game flat. I concur. Yeah, yeah. no, you you can't. Uh, you you have to win at home. Like you have to in this league. You need to win at home. And get some points on the road. Bonus points. Yeah, bonus. Sure, if that's yeah. the language you want to which use. Which is now what we've done. We've yeah. kind of made up points lost, which is what they're always talking about. Every time we've dropped points at home, the players afterwards, so it's been very heavily kind of put yes. into them by Robo. You're going to go out there in the away game, you're going to make those points up, don't bother about this. I can kind of live with that as long as they do get it done. But it is just disappointing that the uh, home fortress that other teams have, like Houston... No. We don't have. Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about the uh, before the double substitution. Quick point: I, I kind of want them to do this at the halftime now. At this point, yeah, because this whatever conversation they're having, it works in a few times, but it doesn't work enough. Well, it, it did it, feel nothing was going to change in the second half with that same lineup. So yeah. you're you're spot on there, and we have to look at some of the players that really didn't have good games. Matthias Laba, obviously it was his first game missing since the injury. He's yeah, he had was surgery awful. this he week. He was awful. He, yeah, that was one of his worst games. No impact at all from Matty. <laughs> Don't know what was wrong. He's had his surgery this week, so we wish him well for a speedy recovery. For real. It's obviously not going to be speedy, but as quick as possible. The two DMs that filled in, I had high hopes of that. Jacobson and Shani, I didn't think it would be too much of a, a dip from Matty being out. But they both chose to have stinkers on the same day. Jacobson in particular, in the first half, I just did not notice him at all. And then, of course, Chani picks up two silly bookings. noticed him too much. Yeah, you noticed him too much. (laughs) Just disappointing. Talk about them first of all. I mean, is it just me seeing it that way? Or did you feel that they just did not have the impact that you're expecting? 
in a game like that when you know that a key guy is out and they have to step up. Yeah, it, there were a few people who felt a little bit invisible, especially in the first half or first 60 minutes or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't think AJ had his best game ever. It was really difficult then, though, when he was subbed off and and TT was left on on a yellow card, which then yeah. resulted in, in him being sent off. And we have to talk about that sending off. For me, it was a, a rash tackle, obviously, but a lot of it came down to what Williams had done directly right. before. Yeah. yeah, He just let Roldan get away, no real attempt at a tackle, and it kind of summed up what, for me, was an absolutely stinker of a performance by Williams. His first home game after all the, the stuff that had happened with him with the assault charges earlier in the season, and he was awful. Yeah, and go right back to the penalty. That yeah. was he, he overran his mark. Then he came back at him again, and he, and it was just like, there's no need to go at the on the ground at that yeah. point. You just stay up and just block him from doing anything. It was shocking that he went to ground. I agree. Yeah. Like that was a really poor decision, and he and he paid the price for it. We all, I mean, they all paid the price and, for it. Yeah. And ultimately, I I know a lot of people want to talk about you know Davies coming on and Montero scoring the goal. But if you look at that penalty, that's the only blemish on Ousted, who had a, a, oh. a man of the match type performance. David was solid. Yeah, he, and, and he, he was. If it wasn't for him, there's no points at all in this game. Exactly. It was a bit of an answer, like or like, these last couple, the the Houston game in this match felt like a little bit of a response to, hey, I, I'm feeling the, I'm feeling the new situation out here. We have a new keeper who's battling, who's gotten minutes. Well, it's great because he's been challenged. Yes, and he's been pushed. We, we've needed him to, to be in that situation to bring the best out of him, and I think we are seeing that. I mean, I used to definitely had a good game. First of all, let's talk about the, the Caps goal. Freddie effing Montero once again. I just have this tweet scheduled now. It's yeah. like fantastic. Just hit send. But it was it was the sub that came on that did everything. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was 16? a goal made. Is he? Is he? 16? No, is he? He can't be. No, no way is he 16. Well, he bar- he barged a 30-something-year-old <laughs> Marshall. Yeah. Marshall off the ball, which was pretty hilarious. Yeah. And it was hilarious in MLS that it didn't get called because those kind of calls usually go against I the I was waiting for a foul, and then Davies just, like, plows into the box, brilliantly sets up Montero. And what happened with that play, he didn't even look to see where Montero was. He knew where Montero was. And I liked his composure, and I asked Rob about that after the game. For a guy that's only 16... That you are right, Steve. I've just checked that he is only sixteen. <laughs> you googled it mm. to to show that composure of not to have the shot himself and to pick out the guy. I mean, that's fantastic. And the finish by Freddie, yeah, they didn't really. It wasn't the hardest goal he's ever going to score, but you still have to have that composure Pos- and you're playing your former yeah, team and yeah, totally. the positioning as well. But he was free in the box. Yeah. Why do you leave a guy that you know so well free in the box? Well, I might be wrong, but I thought he it was his intentional movement where he, he, well, he held back. Yeah, he yeah. came back to yeah. make himself free. But you have to follow that. You have to be right on his shoulder. And we're going to talk more about this next week when it's the off week. But word on Twitter, the, the Whitecats have restarted signing talks with Montero. Hopefully they have. I would be delighted with that. I feel he's worth the money that they're going to throw at him because he is a proven goal scorer. And we've had some people like tweet us saying that they'd rather that money win on a central midfielder, a number 10. John Humphreys. 
for me, you need a guy that's going to score. Look at Josie Altidore. As much as I can't stand the guy, look what he does on a regular basis in Toronto. We need a guy like that. We've never had a guy like that. Montero, <laughs> sorry, 11 what? goals. What? We've never, had, never a had a guy like that? I, I can't think of any other guy oh, that we've oh, ever had. We, we pissed away the relationship with a guy no, like no, that. No, no, he did not exist. <laughs> we have never had a guy like that. No, we yeah. <laughs> No, okay. I, I thought maybe we'd talk about this later, but this... We will, but yeah. This, this, I mean, this idea that uh, he can be had for $2 million a year is ridiculous because... He's on far more. He's on. I'm doing inverted in, yeah. quotes here. It's like know, this is what, what might be official about. and what might not. No, be but that's official. the thing. He he has. We know he has at least one more year on his contract with his club in China. But we also know that Chinese clubs are in a hell of a mess. Hence us getting Ali Gazal in a free transfer. And maybe he's willing to take a little bit of a pay cut of what he normally would be worth in order no, to play in the Northwest. He's happy here. I mean, yeah. he said after the game really? how happy okay, he is so let's, let's, His let's, wife is from this area, let's, I let's, t- let's talk in hypotheticals. Let's say, let's say he's making, let's say he's making, let's say his contract with the Chinese club is $4 million, Right. Right? And we're paying him whatever, 1.8. 1. 1.8. 1. According to the players, union, whatever. Someone's paying him 1.8. So let's say his contract's for four million. You're not gonna say, "Oh yeah, I'll I'll cancel the last year of my four million dollar contract to, to take two million. Who who does that in the right mind when you're owed four million? Well, maybe maybe the next year's contract will still go on as it is, and this is an extension beyond that. And what happens if the and, and, and Chinese just, clubs just, say, "Well, okay, no one's gonna buy you. You're gonna come back, but we can't play you. You're sitting in China for yeah. a year." Like Ali Gazal was unable to play, and this is just speculation too. We don't even know if it is two million. This is just rumors going around that it's two million. It could be more than that. And what did they pay for him? Do we know what they paid for him again? Was it like the, the Chinese club? Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head. Is it a four in the four range? I mean, they paid two point six the other club for for but, Ali, and they're just so, prepared to write that. But off. here's the thing: if he's scoring goals, he has ten plus a Timmy Parker goal in MLS, and some in at least one in Champions League. I can remember and penalties, but they count apparently. <laughs> But are clubs really not going to want him? Like, is there really not going to be some type of demand in the world for his production? You would, you would think there would be, yeah. Yeah, the, the, uh, this, the, the details of what's being discussed in social media, to me, is absolute rubbish. Well, we'll kind of, we'll go into that in a little bit more detail next week when we're, we're going to have our three quarters of the season roundtable <laughs> that, that we have planned. We're going to have a few people in the studio for that one, not just the three of us, going to be a couple of surprise guests as well. So just before we finish talking about Seattle, how did you feel coming away from it? For me, it was a draw that felt like a win. And if you're in the Seattle locker room, that was a draw that felt like you had just thrown away two points. Other people weren't happy that it was just a point, which I'm I'm getting the hint from Zach that that was... For me, before the game, if, if we're talking about before the game, my expectations, that's a loss. But but right when they lost that, uh, went down to 10 men... At that point, they did feel like a win because they got that single point back because I wasn't expecting anything. So it kind of changed for me as the game was going on. But that was also like, what was it, a couple of minutes after the sending off? Like it was yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's four minutes, I think. To me, it's two points dropped at home. It, it well, can't be anything well, other than yeah, that. Yeah. Going, expectations going into the game, 100%. No, I'm with you. I, no, the whole, even, I'm just talking. Even, at the end of the game, they stopped trying to get the two more points. Oh, no, I agree with that. Yeah. And they, I don't blame them for that whatsoever, though. I, know, I, I, do, I do understand that. But to me, it was just not good enough, especially when you couple it with the effort in the first half. Well, I'm going to put my optimist's union's hat on. <laughs> And I'm going to say that it was a a draw that felt like a win. 
And talking about putting hats on, let me just take my headphones off for a second. I am going to actually put a hat on just now. Just talk amongst yourselves. For those not in the studio, Michael's going over to a plastic bag that he has on on a chair. Oh, my. I think he picked up his hat a couple years ago at a preseason tournament. Oh, oh, yeah. And he's struggling to adjust. Did you know it's quite difficult to put headphones on top of a Mickey Mouse ears hat? Zach will take a picture just to kind of demonstrate the the now the quandary that I am in. Um, I was going to I just fix my hat here. My ears are all askew. Yeah. Uh, well, Orlando. Obviously, you're talking about the the hat has to do with the Orlando game and everything. Yes. Um, Mickey Mouse yeah. time. A game that we weren't expecting anything, and especially when you go into it and you see the lineup, nine changes from the previous game. I was I, like I expected four or five, six maybe at the most. No, I, 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 expected I expected wholesale lots. changes. Yeah. I didn't, though, expect all the changes that we got. And especially the two in the holding areas. That was the surprise. Tyber, I expected Tyber to get it, but I didn't expect Marcel de Jong to no. play. Uh, See, to me, that, that yeah. was one of the surprises. Yeah. Some people did think that Marinovic would get the start. Yeah. We own Orlando. As we should. Three games in MLS, three wins. We won the Mickey Mouse Cup in 2012, where, yes, that is where I got my ears from. Yeah. Uh, great time. I wish we'd go back there for pre-season. I really enjoyed that. So let's break down the Orlando match. What What is your overall feelings of the game? A deserved win, considering what the position stats looked at, which we'll come to in a sec? Uh, or did we get a bit of a lucky break in this one? Uh, the football was not... Um eye-catching especially in the first half, first half it was i think it was a good road performance right like we went in and did a job yeah we went in and countered played a lot of count played a lot on the counter we even countered their counter and it felt like the last 20 to 30 minutes of the game was kind of like the boxing match that, that yeah. night it was like back and forth slugging yeah. back and forth and 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 not great but for defense someone looking more dangerous in attack yeah. than the other yeah and not there was not a lot of great defending um, but there's also not a lot of great finishing either. Let, let's look at some of the stats from the game. And we'll kind of give a little bit of a call back to the Seattle one as well. In the last two matches, the Caps have given up 25 shots in each game. 50 shots given up, only two goals conceded. That is incredible. And a testament to how poor the finishing was of both Seattle and Orlando. And some good goalkeeping, some good last-ditch defensive efforts. Not great defense to give up that many shots, but... Well, yeah, I mean, the Caps blocked seven efforts as well in the, the game against Orlando. And Jordan Harvey used his head? Yes. Yeah, a couple times. It's, it's good for a, a player to use his head, but when it smacks him right off like that, it is a, a little the, bit of a worry. Once again, the clearances in the in the box, they were sending bo- things in. Waston was sending them right back out. Um um, I, I know you're saying they're not great defensive performance. I thought they played pretty well defensively. They kept them at bay. Shots were all right. There was once in a while they got through, but even the, some of the most dangerous ones were offside anyways. I, I guess it's more like the shape and the giving up so many opportunities. Yeah. And uh, and Orlando was worse than we were at that. Yeah. But um, Kendall was a beast at the back. His clearances, yeah, he was... Mond was a little bit shaky, but I thought he was solid. I don't think for his first start in a while, I thought he was okay. But I, I, yeah, there was a few parts where he was. Yeah, let, let, let's break down the first goal. Mosquito sends the the ball in from the free kick. 
big Kendall goes up for it, but Tommy Redding just did not read the play very well. Well, I think he just tried to, th- he thought he could get no. a little higher and get it ab- over the net or something. Well, it was the quality delivery from yeah. Nico and the presence of Kendall. If Kendall's not there, that do- that goal doesn't go in, I don't think. No, but I was trying to do a play in his word, Reading. Oh, he right. wasn't Reading the game very right. well. Right, okay. okay. Sorry, right. hang on, hang on. Jamaica. Well, he scored of his own accord, and then it was 1-0 to the Whitecaps. Not not a, a little bit out of the blue. And then Orlando just kind of took over the rest of that half. As the position stats basically show overall, the Whitecaps finished that game with 27.6% possession. Yeah. That's but but that's three, what you three, expect three, points. three points. Three so points. So who who cares? If you look at the Seattle game going back a little bit, if you look at the five minute intervals they do on the MLS site, and they caps they had one, caps had one. Yeah. I think yeah. almost the whole it, game. I so. think they had one very brief one as well against Orlando. Yeah. they had thirty four percent. I think it was possession against Seattle. So two games where they've given up tons of possession, but they've not been punished for it because they, and they've seen that earlier in the year as well. Yeah. Because that's, I think that that's what their formula is right now. They want to counterattack and they want to attack. And they're sort of giving up possession almost. Yeah, they don't. They don't want the ball. Yeah, and they don't really have the horses that can possess the ball too much. No, the, there was the scramble as well in the first half, yeah. which I, I was surprised Orlando didn't equalize from that. Then Whitecaps go two goals up. That, and that's uh, and those are three players who got involved in that where you don't expect them to get a, like to set up a goal. It was Mesquita with the high uh, the high the pressure on the player forcing the turnover. Hurtado picks it up and sends in Brekshay. Hurtado did excellent. Yeah, outstanding. Play. Good, good sixty minute effort. Hard running, grinded it uh, out. Yeah, pressing, supporting the defending. Well, it's and what you want when you're bringing a guy in to to show hunger totally. like that, and he and he did, and then set up the goal. What yeah. a great pass! And the finish from Brixey as well—a lovely little chip over the keeper yeah. showed a, a lot of composure there, and proved to be the game winner on his return to Orlando. After the game, he was saying he was a little bit overwhelmed by the whole experience. He'd only been in Orlando for two years, but it felt like he'd been there longer. I can understand that. When I was there, it felt like I'd been there for a long time as well. I think it's because of all the old people. Could be. The ages. It kind of saps the time away. Yeah, and the heat, it just saps the hell out of you as well. Um, no, but I, I was you could tell that he was affected because he barely celebrated after the goal. He, he just uh, kind of took it, and then I think Hurtado was doing most of the celebrating at that point. And then you're thinking, are the Caps going to be home and dry? But they didn't really get much time to rest on their laurels, and Bang. Kyle Laren. Yeah, nine minutes later, classic header t- from from Laren balling from the left. And luckily, the, the he didn't things start. that he just doesn't do for Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but it's luckily he didn't start, which was surprising because yes. uh, Rebus, yeah. the guy that oh, started Rebus. for him, he was oh. just like all he was over a the shocker. And Dwyer didn't do anything, and he usually, he usually kills yeah. the Whitecaps. Yeah. Dwyer has not Dwyer proved to awful. be a great addition. I don't think they've won since Dwyer's actually come to the team. And Kaka was Kaka too. I, I, I liked the little bit where he, where he held Fonzie back and yeah. then he's smiling and stuff. I didn't where he pulled, like his, it. Where he pulled yeah. his shirt, yeah. I mean, that that's a moment for, for Fonzie. Yeah, I mean, I I saw it on Twitter there, but like if you, know, if you really wanted a shirt that badly, just wait till the end of the yeah. game. He'll give it to you. I'm pr- pretty sure he, he'd be big enough to, to swap the caca. But, yeah, the, I mean, that goal, after they got that, you just knew that Orlando were going to press, press hard, 
you're a bit worried about it. But Giles Barnes whacks one off the crossbar. Other than that, there wasn't that much. No, though. they I mean, held him back for all their shots. Twenty-five shots. Only four of them were on target. Yeah. So that's a big, big concern for so them as well. The one thing about, I think it was on the goal, and it was also on one of the scrambles at the end of the game. I was really surprised to see Jay, uh, Jake marking Kyle on some set plays. Yeah, that was surprising. I, I was just like, "What is? Like did they want Kendall free? Plays like, to be, or yeah, be in the yeah. center zone, but it was awkward. It was it was a mismatch for sure. Yeah, for sure. So that's some of our thoughts on the game. We're going to hear now from both coaches because Jason Christ really wasn't happy with how his team played and the dominance that they had and basically having nothing to show for it. So we're going to hear first of all from Whitecaps coach Kyle Robinson. Then we're going to hear from Orlando head coach Jason Christ. Start wearing purple, wearing purple. Start wearing purple for me now. It feels exhausting. I'm exhausted and I didn't play. So every one of them in there deserves a huge pat on the back because we've had a, a travel day from hell two days ago. Obviously, we were a little bit tired yesterday. We were battered and bruised after a tough game on Wednesday night against our neighbours. And uh, the changes that may, were made, they come in and each to a man, they were absolutely brilliant. So they deserve a lot of credit. You made a lot of changes. You made nine changes to your lineup uh, from last Wednesday. Yeah. And uh, last Wednesday you had your subs come on and made really a huge impact to the game. What does it say about the depth of this team to, to be able to pull off this win? That we've got a very strong squad and we're together. You know, you see every player on that pitch fighting for each other, whether they're starting or whether they're coming off the bench. Even the subs at the end, you know, they play a big part in the yeah, team, a winning team. You've got to create a culture, you've got to create an environment. I'm so proud of every single one of them today. And uh, how does, uh, were you able to talk to Breck after the game? No, I haven't seen him. I think uh, full credit to Breck. You know, it's, it's not easy coming back to your club. I've done it many times and... You know, in the first half, I think he did okay, uh, but he wasn't his usual positive self. And for him to top it off with an unbelievable finish, but that's what I know he's about. So credit for him. He didn't celebrate, which is important, the respect he has for the, this football club. And, you know, it is a, is a proper football club here. You see the, the players they've got here. They've got so much talent on show. That's why it's even bigger result for us, because of the talent they have. Yeah, and Aaron Mond uh, made his uh, Whitecaps debut. How did he fare? He was a good, solid debut today. Next to Kendall, who I thought was a rock as well. But when you, whenever you go away from home, every player has to step up. And if your players are performing at fives and sixes out of tens, you're not going to win. If they perform at sevens, eight and nines, which my players did today, you're going to grind results out. Yes, we can play better. Yes, we can be better on transition. You know, we had some transitional moments where we had easy chances. You know, they we've had to dodge a few bullets from them they hit the crossbar with Giles and things like that but you're going to have to do it but unbelievable character um, the belief that they have the willingness to, to work to the bitter end is fantastic and I can't be any more thankful for that um, but for whatever reason it seems like it's bad luck after bad luck after bad luck uh, to go through a game tonight where we gave them both goals uh, and then weren't able to to finish one of the plethora of chances we had is um, it's difficult um, really really mentally and emotionally difficult time for us Jason I just want to know what you say to the team after a game like that in which you know you've got the goalie down and out several times balls just rattling around and just can't quite get that touch on it Um, I basically said exactly what I just said to you guys (laughs) Uh, a little bit of a loss for words honestly Um, because I just have never 
I never felt like I've been in such an unlucky situation uh, where we just can't seem to get anything to go our way. Um, I feel like if we could get something to go our way right now, we could we could get a lot of good results because we're performing well, we're playing well. Um, but the struggle continues. Um, Jason, I've never seen a stat sheet like this after a game for you guys before. Numbers so high, the amount of passes you had, and no player less than 75 76% accuracy. Um, can you just comment uh, generally on the connection between the players and how you've seen that improve? Um, you know, I would say that the match, I mean, from a tactical point of view, played out more similar to what, what our objective is um, when we're at home in particular, that we, we dominate the game. Um, I still think, though, that we were a little rushed at some times to to try to serve balls, hopeful balls into the box when I think there's a few better situations and a few better decisions that could be made in the attacking third so that we're not looking at, at, at a score line like we are right now and we're not looking at a stat sheet that says we crossed the ball in there a thousand times um, but to two giant center backs. Um, so there's still, in, in my eyes, I mean, as I said, um, the effort of the players is fantastic, but there's still improvement that needs to happen if we want to get to where we want to get to. They had a Which lot of defending impressive. to do. We're going to talk about some of those guys just now. We touched on Aaron Mond there, his, his debut. But what, what did you guys make of it? Like I said before, I thought it was solid. I thought he had some shaky moments, but overall a decent performance considering he hasn't played very much this year. I, I think he would maybe have been playing alongside Tim Parker, but Parker had a bit of a knock, so it was going to be... Kendall and him that went and I think it was better to be beside Kendall for his debut 100% yeah. especially with a, a backup goalkeeper behind as well for, for Mond uh, you know one, one thing it sends out he got booked uh, and you know during the broadcast Dasso felt it was like uh, the right thing to do break up the play by midfield you know put, put the team in trouble I kind of disagreed I didn't think it was a I thought there was enough people with him or behind him to, to cover but in general I thought his play was really really great especially for a debut away a victory I thought he did well and we touched on the, the play of Marinovic there just before the break. And he he had a lot of... He had a lot to do. He had a lot of scrambles in front of him. What I liked from him was he never gave up on any ball. He got a kick in. He got a hand in to try and push it away. So he showed a lot of good hustle there. But obviously, David Ice there is the, the starting goalkeeper. But you do, you do have a challenger there, at least, that you know is very, very capable. Yeah, he never gave up on every ball, even the one he dropped. So that was good. Um, no, he. I thought he. I thought he also had a had a good game. Uh, there was a couple times. Uh, there was the one time he did drop the ball. There was one or two other times I thought he dropped the ball or misplayed the ball, but he actually had made some really good saves in close and some rebounds and reaction saves. Yeah. I, th- I thought he. Yeah, I thought he did well. And uh, it is interesting to see this dynamic of having a number two that is pushing the number one more than maybe we've seen in the past or the recent past. Definitely. And we'll do some tweets after we, we talk about this little bit as well. So there's been a few tweets in about the whole Eusted Marinovic thing going forward. Just in front of the defence, Russell Tiber came in, 
A little bit of a surprise that he was there beside Marcel de Jong. I think Marcel de Jong was the bigger surprise out yeah, of the two totally. playing that position. Yeah. But Well, we knew, I, I felt like Marcel was going to play. Yeah, it was, it was yeah just, I thought he was yeah. going to be left back. Yeah. I was yeah. very surprised that Harvey actually got the start. But I thought he played well. Yeah, uh, Tiber and de Jong together did I th- well. I thought they were one of the standouts of the game. And you seeing that Tiber played well was yeah. surprising right there. I know I rag That's on That's a bigger Tybert surprise a than the Orlando winning, or, I mean Vancouver winning in Orlando. He... There was a couple of balls, though, that Russell played in when he got past the halfway line that weren't the best. Oh, and everybody, but everybody has those. Bolognas has had those, and Mosquitas had those. So yeah. it's not nothing new. He took it. Looked like he took a knock near near the seventy eighth minute or so. Yeah. I, I hope that's that not, a sore one for yeah, him. Yeah, hopefully that's not uh, long lasting. Then Mosquito got the start in the number 10 role. And again, for me, it was another poor start by Nico. I think it's better than his other starts. And he was, really? a, yeah, I think it was better than his other starts. And I think he, like I said, the pressure he had on that one play where it led up to the goal was vital. He 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 played with a little bit more effort. Yes, his his play wasn't that great, but there's way more effort than anybody normally. I, I got I got to agree with Steve. I think the start was better than some of his other starts. His hustle and all that kind of stuff was the same as usual. Plus, his delivery is what led to the opening goal. The yes. quality of his delivery was that was good. And I. I guess it is a bit harsh see, to judge him see, considering he, the position that the Caps had. He didn't really get a lot of no, time and, on the and, ball to do and much. He's, and he's playing with Tybert and De Jong too behind him, mm. which is not normal. And also you got to think you're, you're in this case, I'm sure, are comparing him to Reyna. And you're expecting the yes. same thing. And you can't expect yeah. that from Mesquita to Reyna. And they were coming with a totally different um, a game plan in this game. They, were, yeah. they weren't expecting Mesquita to do much. Then Bernie Abini starting for Freddy up top. I thought he played well. Does he better. do it for you? I've I've seen a lot of mixed comments. Some folk really like him. Some folk are, are thinking he's starting to find his groove. Others not impressed at all by him. I'm still... The jury's kind of still out for me in him. I'm still not 100% sure what I make of him. I think he has moments, but he's they're, they're, they're kind of few and far between at this point. I, for some reason, I still have stuck in my head some of the... Maybe, I don't know if it was from uh, the, the football club itself or from... Twitter or you know whatever, but I remember when he came in. Some people were like, "Oh, he's got some similarities to Kakuda," and I saw that stuck in the back of my head. And when I watch him play, yeah, he's he has some pace, he has some burst of speed, he wears the same number, but like he's not he's not the same kind no, of player at all. I, I just don't think um, that but, at all. What I do like about him though is that this aerial presence that yeah. he brings, which we don't have from yeah, other guys. Totally, that's what I was gonna say. Having said that, he has a presence that we don't have at the of of a striker. Even when you play, even when we. F- I'm going to say force Breck Shea to play as a center forward. Uh, he doesn't have the same presence that, that that Bernie does. That brings me nicely then to the the match winner Breck Shea. And again, we touched on that earlier when we, we talked about his goals. We've talked about it a lot in recent weeks. The fact that he's been on the bench, he hasn't come on in a number of games. You're you're leaving a a high price tag, just riding the pine. But he has scored some really vital goals this year. He scored match winners, he scored crucial goals, he scored in the Champions League. When he's doing stuff like that, do those goals make up for the high price tag? Uh, I don't believe they make up for the high price tag. Obviously, I've said it many times in the past, I don't think he should be a designated player at this football club. He should be bought down by Tam at the most. Um, but I don't think what he's done in the little time he's been here, even though I know there have been injuries, really justify that uh, that status and so it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward because as far as we understand i think he's, this is the last year of his guaranteed contract right 
I could be wrong with that, but that's my understanding. Would you like to see him back next year? Not as as a designated player? No. Me neither, no. He's got to be bought down for sure. What would it take salary-wise for you to to be comfortable with having a a guy like Shea in the team that's not starting week in, week out, and also maybe not featuring off the bench, but having an impact when he does? No, I, I would. I'm not going to put a dollar figure on it exactly. I'm, I'm okay with it as long as they can fit him in. And if he's not a designated player, doesn't take the spot up. I expect him next year if he does come back to maybe be the number three winger, uh, be the the with Davies or if Davies starting, be behind him, because um, I think he can provide that off the bench. He's done it before, and I think he can do it consistently. But like I said, designated player, no, not in my book. But here's the thing: I most most contracts, especially in his age range. The the next year, which is a most likely a club option, is not going to be for less money. <laughs> it's hard to think that the stage of where he's at in, in his career that it's going to be for less money. And no, so, but yeah. they can buy him down. Oh, totally. That, that's what I'm saying. Or they can offer him. Look, we really want to keep you here, but we can't pay you yeah. that. If you want to be here, this is what we'll offer you. Take it or leave I, it. And I think he would leave it. I think he would as well. Yeah. He hasn't though maybe done enough to get a lot of clubs really interested in taking him on. That True. is the thing as well. Yeah. So you have to bear that in mind. And moving around with two young kids as well. It's not easy. It's not a great thing to constantly be doing that. No. He wants to find somewhere to land, somewhere to settle. And Robo talked about it after the game, that he doesn't feel that he, he's maybe settled in as quick as he, he hoped he would settle in. Robo said he believes that he is a player's coach and he thought he could get the best out of Breck. I don't know that, that we have seen Well, you've got to also look in, like you said, he's he's moving basically across the continent to a different location, first time in Canada. He also had a pregnant wife um, to deal with, uh, to, not to deal with, but, you know, the, the circumstances. To, to love and with. care for. Yeah. love and care for. Because they're a nightmare. Yeah, I know. Okay, so, uh, but... Uh, but that, like those kind of situations, it does put a little bit of pressure on you. And the thing is, when he came back after the, his, his kid was born, he had one of a great game on that day. Yeah. So so it, the the moral of that story is get her pregnant again. Yes. Oh, that's what I'm taking from that. Let, let's have a look at some tweets that we've, we've had in tonight. Ryan McLeod at CTV Ryan. Are the Caps set to pay $2 million just to have Zach here stop calling Freddie the Loney or the Colombian? If we sign him permanently, will you show him the respect he deserves, Zach? Well, it's not a... <laughs> First off, we all know the Whitecaps <laughs> don't care what I say or think at all. So. Of course they do. You you are Mr. Whitecaps in the stands. No, no, no. They We know that they don't care. Um, that's been proven and basically said many times. But, uh, no, I mean, that's obviously that's not important. And, again, I think the, the, the figures there are off base. Tweet here from Jonathan at Border Caps Fan. He just, going back to what we thought of Marinovic's performance, heroic acrobatics, keeping balls out, or a result of poor control? What was it for you? It felt like six of one, half a dozen of another, the other, to be honest. Like, it it, it, it did feel dodgy, because there, there was a one early on that he did not hold. No. And then after that, I thought, oh, he didn't hold that one either. Oh, he didn't hold that one. But then I watched the replay, no, yeah. and was, it was actually a good, a good save he had made. Yeah, there was one that he was he kind of like was directing away. It just that player happened to be there. He happened to direct him right into that spot. He, he right. did the right call, but it was just the wrong spot, and that was one of them, I think. Another Jonathan at LOGD Vancouver. 
He says a lot has been made about Eisted being on his way out. Mark Weber was going on about that on Twitter last night as well. Can you discuss Stuart Kerr's influence on this, if he had any? Because I, I think some folk are feeling as soon as Marius went, there's a new goalkeeping coach yeah. in. David was maybe Marius's guy. Does Stuart Kerr want his own guy? Stuart Kerr is very high on David Eisted. Stuart Kerr would love to have David Eisted here. Pre-season, he felt the goalkeepers he had was the best overall unit in all of MLS. Oh, he told you that too? Yeah. Okay. That was in our interview we had. Obviously, oh, he didn't right. pay attention to that. Maybe it was the Scottish well, accent. No, because I, I, I asked him once about that as well. Yeah, no, he and feels he, it was a, it's a very strong unit. That was with Ternagi. He he likes Marinovic. He did have a big impact on bringing Marinovic here. Robo asked his opinions off it. But he likes David Eisted. He'd love to have David Eisted as his number one goalkeeper. He enjoys working with him. From being at training, it looks like David enjoys working with him as well. There's always lots of smiles, lots of swearing as well, which I, I like to hear at, at training. But here's the thing. The other thing about this is this is a salary budget operation they're running. And so that will play a factor. The other thing is it's also about relationships. And if if David is not here next year, the, to me, the most likely landing places for him would be back with Marius in, in Minnesota or you know, probably back in his homeland of Denmark. I, I personally think the only reason Ousted is would leave next year is because of his cap number, and uh, are they able to? Will they be willing to use that cap number as for a goalkeeper? And that would be the only reason he'd leave. Jonathan adds into that he's noticed a few times in the first half on Wednesday that after terrible defending, Ousted goes to shout at his defence and then holds himself back. Hmm. He feels our defenders need a kick up the arse desperately in the first half, especially against Seattle. He feels before they would have got one, but under care, Ousted is a little bit more subdued. I don't think you can read it into Stuart Kerr's influence. I just think the whole dynamic with Ousted has changed. Okay, a bit. two things about that. Yeah, the coaching staff may have said, hey, there's a different way to approach the players, Dave, David, or we think that you acting in that way is maybe getting your, your head out of the game a little bit or whatever. Maybe, who knows? The other thing is, and I think we would all agree on this, probably all the out, 10 outfield players could have used a kick in the first half on Wednesday. Yeah, especially towards goal. Joe Nutson, JROCK5158, says, what's his concerns? Be nice if this team was consistent, what we talked about at the start. Good to see, though, that they're talking to Montero about an extension. More goals would be nice per game as well. I Definitely, <laughs> it's like, although... I am still happy winning games 1-0. I would take that kind of all week long. Whitecap Scarf. Crazy one here. Why didn't the Caps start or play Teixeira on Saturday? Only played 55 minutes Wednesday. Bad coaching decision, he says. He said that before the game or after the game? This is tonight. Despite the fact we just won, he thinks it was a bad coaching decision. Yeah. Sometimes you got to put the scarf in front of your mouth. (laughs) It's a very ultra. Very true. North Van Steve replies to that, though. What? Teixeira is terrible. Bench is where he belongs. Change of pace sub at best. He has been very patchy. He he hit his peak, and then I think he's kind of gone back a little bit. This season you're talking about? Yeah. And peak by, you mean five foot six? Oh. I think think Teixeira has has been one of the key offensive players this season. Oh, 100%. And then last couple of tweets in this section from Football Snob. His concern is not learning from past mistakes. On three days rest, Robo names a largely unchanged lineup versus Seattle and almost pays for it again. Would you have liked to have seen more changes for the Seattle game or 
did you feel that was the right lineup to go with? Well, again, something we're probably all in agreement on. We wish that Jake hadn't taken a knock against Houston and he was able to play it right back. Um, and I think it would have made a huge difference. I think that could have had a huge influence on the match. Uh, I'm okay with I'm, I'm in, in principle. I'm okay with playing your best eleven uh, for the, that Cascadia Cup match. Yeah, I, he did the same against Portland as well, as Football Snow points out, and they were made to pay for that. So just before our talk of these games wraps up, who would be your man of the match from that Orlando win? Kendall Watson. Yeah, it's hard not to go with Kendall Watson. I would also give shout-outs to Eric Hurtado, who we didn't talk about in the second part, but we did earlier, and uh, probably also the uh, Canadian Marcel Dion. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably I, go with I think Kendall he, should, as well, he I think yeah. he was more man-marking Kaka a lot. Um, especially the first half. Well, we didn't get any on them. No. It, it was hard, really, for players to stand out too much in that because they weren't on the ball very much. Anyway, all that talk has made me hungry. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? You sit at home at night, Ernie. You've got your hot beverage of choice. Do you go for a tea or a coffee? Ha, ha, ha. Depends what mood I'm in. It's funny. Um, since I've been in North America, I've never drunk so much coffee. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I never used to drink coffee, but uh, but no, I, I've slowly started drinking a little bit of coffee. But, you know, I'm British, and uh, it's funny. A lot of people, you know, we'll, we'll go for a dinner or something, and, um, and uh, you know, people will maybe have a, have a drink or something like that, and, and I'll order a tea, and they'll look at me and like, what? <laughs> you know, that's so British of you, you know? <laughs> so... Uh, for me, it's a tea. For me, it's a tea. And are you a biscuit fan? And if so, what would be your biscuit of choice? Ooh, biscuit. Um, do you know what? I like, uh, I've always liked the shortbread, the shortbread biscuits, yeah. Um, and uh, it's funny, because I've stayed in so many hotels throughout my career that uh, at packet. least 50% <laughs> of them were shortbread, so <laughs> I was lucky, you know, so I was, used to walk in the hotel rooms and think, like, I look at the biscuit and it's like, ah, shortbread, okay, we're ready. No, <laughs> you know? that here. Yeah. And are you a dunker? No, no, never a dunker, always straight, I have my tea, I have my biscuit, you know, I'm happy. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? That was Robert Earnshaw talking about chocolate digestives and tea and coffee there. And a lot of people have asked us what the, the song is that, that we use in that segment. A couple of folks found it on YouTube, a couple of folks have bought it as well on iTunes. It's by a UK band called New Royal Family. And it's from a split seven inch single that they did with Keith Top of the Pops from Art Brute. So you can check that out. You can also find a great video for it as well on YouTube. Lots of hidden Adam and the Ants references in there. So if you're a big Ant fan, you'll love that. So we we talked about the, the games that the, the Whitecaps have had in the last few days. It set them up very nicely in the, the Western Conference standings. Now up to fourth. Yep. The games tonight, or the games today and over the weekend, puts them in a very healthy position. Seattle and Portland drew tonight 1-1. Did you get a chance to watch that game? I, wa- I was on in the background for me. I saw both goals. Yeah, I fast-forwarded through when I got Yeah, I, I kind of just fast-forwarded. Fast-forwarded through the first half, watched 
a big chunk of the second half. Second half was pretty good. Yeah. First half was kind of boring for a Cascadia Derby. Seattle, they're trying to sell those white shirts, right? I can't. First, I can't. We didn't talk about it on Wednesday's game. I can't believe we let Seattle wear white in, at BC Place like that. I was quite brutal. happy though because it meant we didn't wear white. Yeah, I know. I any pajamas. excuse for I, us not to wear I know, the jammies. I hate those white jerseys too. But they were still sleeping while they were playing that game. But yeah. But and I think they wore the blue again because they'd gotten the result against Houston. But uh, well, I, keep I don't like to see. Seattle wearing white here, and then they wore it again today against sorry against the Timbers. Yeah, the pitch. Like my wife looked up at one point, just like you couldn't What's see up the with that pitch. Yeah. That was that was a horrible looking pitch at the at the clink for that one. But a draw was a good result in a number of ways. In the Western Conference standings, it was great. It was also great from the Cascadia Cup standings. It actually might have been better if Seattle won for the Cascadia Cup standings, but yeah. Well, it's still in our own hands if we go on the road and we, we get two wins now. Yes, yes. Big game coming up, though, against Seattle in that regard next month in September. Another uh, I, horrible midweek one, though. Yeah, great. All Cascadia games for for Vancouver this year have been either on a Friday, a Wednesday, or a Sunday. All six matches. Portland reclaims the cup with a draw. Seattle can. Oh, Seattle can still... Seattle can still, yeah, if they if they beat us, mm-hmm. and then, then, then we're out of it. Then we're out of it, and then Portland has to get. I th- I can't remember if it's all three points. They might be okay with a draw. I'd have to double check that, but yeah, yeah. Seattle needs to beat us. Math. But it, it was an, math, yeah. Another interesting weekend in MLS. Dallas are now out of the playoff. I told you they're standings. slipping. I told it's you like, they're going to slip. Wow. Yeah, you did. I mean, credit to you for that. That. Is surprising. I thought Houston might have been the team that dropped out, and possibly they might have if results had gone different ways and if they had managed to play Sport and KC over the weekend. But Dallas not being in the top six after back-to-back Western Conference titles, reigning Supporters Shield champions as well, that would be amazing. Especially the fact that LA are now completely down and out, absolutely humped by San Jose three 0 San Jose stringing these results together. And as our RSL, who I still think are out of it because of the games that they've played, but I mean they're stringing results together as well. It's just so tight now between the top teams. But I think it's going to be like that for the rest of the season too, because like in in the East, it's like TFC is just running away with it at this point. And it's amazing that Chicago drop a little bit now. They lost to Minnesota at home, yeah, two one, which is surprising. It's those games in hand in the West that has, has caused a lot of that logjam. Of course, games in hand count for nothing if you don't get the points on the board. Yep. That's that's the 100%. Big, big, and I think big a thing. couple of those are going to be played in these next couple of home games. Well, we've talked about it in the past, too. It's ridiculous the, the way the schedule plays out. To then have four home matches in a row and then have four to five to end the season on the road is, like, ridiculous. It's also interesting to see that we used to have uh, – I don't know if it was Vancouver or – uh, other Western teams as well, but Vancouver used to have a very heavy Eastern schedule at the beginning of the year, and then like almost no, no Eastern yeah. opponents at the end of the season. And this year we have a, a number of them. Yeah, that's very strange. I mean, if the Caps do win those games in hand, they're top. But then if Sporting Kansas City win their games in hand, they're top as well. So it could be a battle between us and SKC. And we still have to play away there. If we can get a first round buy out of this. I would be delighted for a number of reasons. One of them in particular being that it means I won't miss my wedding anniversary for being at a game. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah. But we got a chance to catch up with Stephen Egan when he was up on Wednesday night for the Sounders game. 
If you don't know Stephen, he's one of the hosts of Radio Cascadia. You'll find all their podcasts on AFTN. We're in partnership with them now. Our podcast gets promoted on their site in Prost America. I'm a regular on their show, Talking talking Whitecaps. So I chatted to Stephen just about his thoughts on the West so far this year and how he thinks things might shake out in the mix. So I'm joined now by Stephen Egan from the Radio Cascadia podcast and we're recording this at halftime of the Seattle-Vancouver game so we don't know the end result as we're doing this but we're going to have a look ahead just how we see the the Western Conference shaping up for for the rest of the season. I think one thing that, that does look pretty obvious just now, Stephen, is it looks like it's going to be six teams from seven, barring a remarkable late run where maybe RSL or, or LA went out. Failing that, you're looking at seven teams and one of these guys is going to be left looking in. You know, I'm thinking right now, Whitecaps looking okay for the sixth playoff spot. Uh, more pieces than what the Earthquakes have to offer down the stretch, I think. Uh, just the different dynamic pieces the Whitecaps have in attack. I don't think the Earthquakes can match that. And, and as we get into this stretch run where people start to you know, really get a little bit more consistent, start to field their, their, you know, their, uh, their playoff 11 every week, I think Vancouver's got the higher ceiling and will fall into a better rhythm. The thing with the Western Conference just now as well is everyone's beating everyone else, it's so tight. Heading into these midweek games, there was seven points between first place and then seventh place. Sounders obviously leading the table as we speak right now. And then San Jose, the seventh place team. Vancouver do have games in hand. The Western Conference is always tight, but I don't remember it being quite this tight. Certainly the logjam this year is, is something we might not have ever seen before, and I think that it's also fair to say that the ceilings for most of these clubs are somewhere near each other, and it's going to be about who hits the consistency, who, who hits their stride at the right time, maybe more so uh, than we even normally see in MLS. And we all know this is the kind of league it is to begin with, but when you have so many people so close together, so similar in talent level, uh, it kind of turns the crapshoot into, into something else entirely. And of course, Seattle was the defending cup champions. They're wanting to get back there again. Slow start to the season, but from the season up to this point, how have you seen it gone from a Seattle perspective? And what do you put the slow start down to again this year? Was it just maybe a little bit of a hangover from the cup run? And when did it kind of click in that they started to really hit their stride? You know, I think you can attribute it to three things. First off is the cup hangover. Uh, second off is Garth Lagerwey's philosophy on the regular season. He just doesn't value the Shield the way he does MLS Cup, and the Sounders as an organization aren't going to from here on out. It doesn't look like. Uh, it's three consecutive years. They've had difficult starts to the season and then turned it on towards the end, or at least had one bad run somewhere in there for eight or ten games, and that doesn't seem to bother them. That's the answer. It's not, it's not how are they going to figure it out next year and be good in April, May, June. It's that's not going to be a priority for them. Additionally, I think this team was still learning how they were going to play under Brian Schmetzer, and now they're starting to figure it out, and, and they're a lot more specialized. I'd say the, the, each player positionally a lot more specialized than what we saw under Ziggy Schmidt, and uh, just in the last six or eight games, as they've, as they've gone on this good run, it really feels like they've started to click and figure out how to play with each other, and maybe they didn't have that earlier in the year. With that in mind, looking at how Portland kind of scraped into the playoffs two years ago, Seattle did it last year, and then both came away with the cup... Does the playoff positioning matter even at this point, do you feel? You know, I think the buy has a value to it, but I don't think the playoff positioning has a ton of merit behind it anymore, and certainly the last two years have shown that, right? And uh, it's, it's just about who gets hot at the right time, 
and this year particular, in particular with the ceilings of every club so close together, uh, I just wonder who keeps all their pieces healthy up until the stretch run, uh, who gets three or four games consistent before the playoffs, uh, look, looking their best, getting to, getting to run the style they're going to play in the playoffs, and uh, whichever clubs can, can kind of hit the ground running there, I mean, I, th- I think it's open for anybody. I really do. So who's impressed you then so far th- this year in, in the West? You know, Dallas is always so impressive. Just they, they seem to get pieces injured here and there, and it doesn't matter. They plug and play, and between the U system and some smart transfers, uh, I just I think that they're going to finish a little bit higher than where their you know, games in hand have left them so far. Um, additionally, Sporting Kansas City, tough to get past them. Uh, they're really pretty close to Toronto if you look at it. I mean, they're not, they're not that far off the pace there. And they've done that by, you know, after selling Dwyer. It's remarkable. That was, that was really a very gutsy move. Um, but I think that's going to really hurt them down the stretch. I don't see any way that they can, that they can lift the cup without Dwyer. I, I thought that was a shocking move. They would have been the clear favorites for me. Yeah, I mean, Sporting KC, they've really impressed me as well. They're a team which they play attractive football as well, which is always good to see those teams at the top. If you look at the two Texan teams, Houston, great at home, horrible on the road, came to BC Place on Saturday as the Western Conference leaders. If results hadn't gone their way, and it still might be the case, they could finish this coming weekend out of the playoff spots altogether, which is just crazy to, to see that tightness. But the turnaround at Houston under Elmer Cabrera, he seems to have done well. Is the key to them doing well getting home playoff ties? You know, I think that that definitely could be it. In particular, you think of a knockout round game, right? There's just absolutely no way Dynamo are going to go on the road as a five or six seed and take a result. And they haven't won anywhere in the regular season. Uh, so certainly in the knockout round. And then when you just think of it tactically in a two-legged series, it's really, really tough if you're at such a disadvantage, uh, you know, letting the other manager, letting the other team know, uh, you know, you're going to be out there to score two or three at home and to play for a clean sheet on the road. Uh, and that, you know, I think we've seen MLS advance past that a little bit tactically in the playoffs. Um, Bruce Arena, Brian Schmetzer, Caleb Porter, all guys who have gotten it right lately. Talking of Bruce Arena, obviously known for his time at LA when they dominated everyone before him in the West, Galaxy this year struggling. RSL, as we've talked about, struggling. As we record this just now, they're leading San Jose. But do you see any of these teams out with the the, the kind of top seven just now being able to string a run together and, and maybe make a, a dramatic late push? You know, I don't see any I don't see any reason to think that any one of those guys can do it. Um, LA trying to rebuild under Ziggy Schmidt, I think that that's, that's a long-term project. I don't think they're expecting anything from him this year, and it would be tough to. I mean, they're a real mess. You look at the other side, San, San Jose is the only one you could really imagine, and it would take Wondolowski getting really, really hot, having everybody stay healthy, you know, there's, there's a reason why these clubs have ended up where they are in August. None of them added pieces that are major enough to me to really change anything. And I think most of the top of the West did add something. And that's probably a factor as well. So let's look at Portland now. We've talked about Seattle. Another team, a bit like the Whitecaps, they can be up and down. Caleb Porter's not been big on squad rotation, it kind of appears, from looking in from afar this year. What, what do you make of their chances? Are, are they... A guaranteed playoff berth for you? It's really tough right at the moment because for them it's all about the injuries down the spine. Jake Gleason, Liam Ridgewell, Fernando Adi all having a really hard time getting into the side and it's tough to pick out three more influential players for any other side in the league than those three, maybe barring Diego Valeri. Uh, Valeri picked up his 15th goal of the season tonight and he's having a really great year but it's going to take more than just him for the Timbers to clinch a playoff berth. 
uh, Jeremy Ebobise and Darren Maddox, spelling Adi up top, have done all right, but they're not banging the goals away the way that Fernando Adi can, and he certainly brings a unique skill set. I would say that Portland is kind of an interesting mix of Seattle and Vancouver. They have the inconsistency we see from the Whitecaps, but one of the very highest ceilings in the Western Conference. So then talking about the Whitecaps, just before we wrap up, you, you've watched a lot of them, mostly from afar, up here tonight for this game. Maybe not a, a great exhibition in this first half of, of what the Whitecaps can do, but what have you made of this Whitecaps team this season, and what are you expecting from them now in, in the final kind of two and a half months? You know, the Yordi Reina injury was so difficult. I mean, I don't, you know, don't want to tell you about that, but sure, you know, the, the Yordi Reina injury, when, when everybody else has their playmaker out there and you're having to so drastically alter the way that you play or the way that you were planning to play, um, I think that, you know, particularly if Reina's here for a number of years, that will be a period of time that we come to toss out a little bit because he wasn't there, he wasn't doing anything, and if you're going to spend that much money on a guy, probably hoping to get something out of him. Um, I worry about consistency like everybody else does. Uh, I wish, you know, I think if you look at the Seattle game tonight, you could say Sounders look like they have a little bit better chemistry out there. They know what they want to do, what they're trying to do with the ball a little bit more clearly than the Whitecaps do. And when you consider how much the the front five or six changes, when you consider um, the injuries that they've dealt with, uh, I I think it's all about consistency. Uh, Definitely added pieces that I think get them closer to that top tier in the West. But I wonder if they'll be able to put it all together in time this year because I don't know that Robbo's left himself so much to work with now. Finally, just to put you on the spot, who do you see walking away with the Western Conference title and who do you see walking away with the championship and and making it to the MLS Cup? You know, that's a great question, Michael, and it is a little bit on the spot. I'm going to go ahead and pick FC Dallas to win the West with their games in hand. Um... You know, SKC, we talk about it a lot on the podcast. Uh, That style they play where they're so gritty and they're so physical, it works really well, but I think they wear themselves down over the course of a season. And even if they were to finish towards the top of the conference, I can't see them doing anything in the playoffs. I'm going to go with my original playoff pick this year and say Vancouver wins it with with the number six seed. I know it's a little bit out there, but I think that if they put it all together, I just talked about how Rabo's not going to be able to, but I think that if Jordi Reyna and Freddie Montero continue the partnership they have, Breck Shea needs to find his way onto the field somewhere for the height that he provides and the athletic skill. Um, and I think that with with the solidity of Boston and Parker in the back, Osted playing out of his head, um, and the, the attacking creativity, uh, their ceiling is as high as anyone's in the West. Haven't shown it consistently, haven't shown it always, but that's the great thing about the playoffs. It's a six-match crapshoot. Uh, two of them are going to be on the road if you're headed to MLS Cup at least. And those two, you don't, you don't need to win those games. You need to take you know, a result like you did at Montreal. Or, I'm sorry, that's a, it's a two-one win out there. But still, you, you, don't, you don't need to be perfect. You need to play a hard-nosed style that, that takes at least a point, takes at least a draw from somewhere. And if you grab an away goal, great. Um, I think that this team at BC Place in the playoffs can show more than they've shown tonight. Well, I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this from a Vancouver point of view will be hoping that that's true. Thanks for joining us today, Stephen. Just before we go, just let everyone know where they can find you and Radio Cascadia online. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. You can find me at Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N underscore Agen, A-G-E-N. And please check out our podcast, Radio Cascadia. You can find us on Twitter, Radio underscore Cascadia. And uh, all of our work on ProstAmerica.com as well. Thanks again, Michael. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Cascadia every week. Uh, We're having a great time doing it always fun and look forward to the next time we chat thanks so much Stephen Stephen
Stephen Egan there from Radio Cascadia. Give them a follow, give them a listen. You'll find all their episodes on AFTN. Really good show covering all three of the Cascadia teams. And he talked about there, the West is looking so tight just now. And as we all know... Yeah, that's Flash Top 5. Uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Michael. Uh, we, oh. It's the Canadian... As we know, it's Canada 150. We're going to be counting down the top five uh, under-23 players from each position for both men and women. So let's get right into it. Uh, this is where uh, Michael seems to drift off. So luckily we have Zach here. He took his headset off. Yeah. So uh, what we have is number five. We have a local girl um, from the Whitecaps uh, elite program, um, Julia Grasso. Uh, Michael's left the studio. <laughs> why are you looking at me like that? Is that the wrong name? <laughs> no, it's Julia Grosso. Grosso. Um, uh, she's essentially uh, um, uh, uh, only 16 at this point. She's already been called up to the U20 team a couple times. Um, she hasn't made the national team yet. Obviously, at that age, it's kind of difficult. Um, but she she's basically um, a, a center midfielder. She's she went to the U17 World Cup. Um, the technical they have usually a committee of people that kind of go over these young players, and uh, they kind of described her as having. Good anticipation, vision, strong in one-on-one situations. And so I think she'll probably be uh, kind of uh, slowly brought into the lineup. At number four... Her name her name for me brings back very painful memories. Of, is, is did you go out with a girl? Come no. Oh, okay. No, the 2006 World Cup and Fabio Grosso playing for Italy. Oh. Did things to Germany that I don't want to talk about. Hopefully it was legal. Um, and number four, Sarah Stra- uh, Stratagakis. Um, she's from Toronto. Where do you find these names? I'm sorry. Week? They're names. I wish, like I said, I wish there was a John Smith. It would be easier to pronounce. Um, she is from Toronto, Ontario. Uh, she does play midfield. Uh, she's currently, she's playing in university for, uh, the in Mi- University of Michigan. She's starting this year there. Um, she's already had two caps with the national team at 18. Um, so, and, and she's another person who is looking to obviously make more inroad. And I think over the next four years, you'll kind of find her way through in Michigan and probably get to hear a call up here and there. They usually don't like calling, unless you're a, uh, one, a superstar like uh, Buchanan, uh, they don't usually call up people from the universities because they don't want to interrupt their play there. Okay. Um, number three, Gabriel Carl. Um, she is from Quebec City, Quebec. Uh, she's listed as a forward, but they, I think she'll most likely play midfield because, uh, like I said, I haven't, uh, the other two sp- uh, spots, defenders and strikers, very strong when it comes, midfielders are a little bit weaker when it comes to comparing the three. So she'll probably move back into the midfield. She's already got seven caps and already scored once for the national team. So expect big things from her right now. Uh, they haven't really decided, uh, where exactly uh, she's going next year. The, she's kind of like in a limbo. So she'll probably find somewhere if she's going to university or she's going to go pro. Rebecca Quinn, uh, playing Duke, uh, for Duke University. She's uh, listed as a center back, but I think she'll more likely find her spot as a as a holding midfielder. Uh, future different. Desiree? Yeah, most likely. And she's big too. She's taller. She's about like oh, just under 5'10". So she'll have that physical presence in that midfield. And uh, another solid player. She's already got in her resume um, 31 caps. And she yeah. scored 30 goals already. So it, she's already kind of established herself. She's probably, she is the oldest of these uh, five players. She's at 22. So expect big things from her. Finally, um, 
probably the one player out of these the the three lists that we had. Um, maybe Buchanan would be kind of one, but Jesse Fleming. Yeah, I was waiting probably for that. the probably the biggest prospect on on the radar at this point. Uh, she's really established. She established herself so well at such a young age at the at the uh, at the Olympics. Yeah, she's quality and already forty five caps at only um, nineteen years of age. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, that and, is incredible. And four well, goals. Well, she started playing when she was like sixteen in the national 15, team. 16, yeah. yeah, same thing. Like all these players, like they always they seem to because they were forced to because there wasn't that uh, there was a gap. Wasn't Carl Lang like that too? Yeah, Carl Lang. She was spectacular. Yeah, but there, there was a gap at this point because there was like no uh, between the older generation yeah. and the, this younger generation. There was nobody in between, and they had to. Fill it in with younger. It's kind of crazy now, though, to think that they're veterans. Yeah. When you think that we sat down, we chatted with Jesse Fleming just three before, years ago. Was it the Olympics? No, the World Cup. It was before the World Cup three years ago? Yeah, she's and it's a veteran like now, yeah, yeah. Now she's a veteran, and and we, our questions kind of made her uncomfortable. I yeah, she that. blushed. Yeah. Sh- shocking that. Yeah. Um, just she, so you, she didn't want a chocolate digestive either. <laughs> just see, she, and she's currently playing for UCLA and is on the short list. For being one of the top players. They always make a short list before the season she, starts. Was she at UCLA, right? She's at UCLA. Yeah, she's, ripping, she's, kind, she's been ripping it up. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of following in Carl Lang's footsteps at yeah. this point. I just see where uh, Steve, um, uh, fellow EFTN uh, person Chris Corgan. There's no John Smith. I know. No, he says, I think I've developed a deep-seated fear of that Claxton. It, Claxton. it was not too loud this time. I don't know. I took my. I didn't have my headset on. Okay. But the, yeah, so that's the top five this week. Is good another good job. excellent top five. How many more of these have we got to go? I think one more. Excellent. And then we maybe we'll ask the audience if they, what they want the top five rundown every week. Who knows? Oh, it's the ice cream man. Wonder who's going to fancy an ice cream with me this week. I'll tell you who. It's my fellow Pfeiffer, Gordon Forrest. Will they actually like ice cream? Yes, oh. that was actually something he did like that I asked him, so that, that was a plus. So let's see now what Gordon Forrest is going to get from the Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man, ice cream man. ring your bell, play the music I've learned to love so well. Ice Cream Man, ring your chimes in the so it's a hot day, you're out with the family, you fancy an ice cream. What would be your flavour of choice, or are you more a froyo kind of guy? I'm a mint chop chip, 100%. Do you miss having 99s here? Yeah, that soft soft ice cream with the, with the flake in it does, uh, does go down well back home, yeah. Ice cream man, up on my street. I heard your truck today. Any, any, any. You were busy earlier today too. I was. I yeah. was calling the WFC two game with Corey Basso. Nice. A lot of fun we had there. And it was Star Wars Day as well. Uh, yeah, and you, did you have any Star Wars jokes? Yeah, I, I'm going to do this joke because this was at the end of the broadcast and most folk didn't hear it. We do have an out-of-town scoreboard from Star Wars Day. And the result is R2-D2, C3-P-O. <laughs> Solid joke. I still like that, yeah. 
But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let my kids listen to that one. A great win for WFC two, breaking a thirteen game winless streak. Yeah. And but I, they beat LA Galaxy 2, who haven't really yeah, done well at LA Galaxy 2 can't win at home either this yeah. year. They can win on the road, but they can't win at home. What has happened in LA? Yeah. It's very weird. We should get Pete Vianis on the show. I would love to. I know you would. That would be great fun. I mean, um, um, we should get a conference call with Pete Vianis and John, John Thornton. Thornton. But we'd have to get the stretcher bearers out, just in <laughs> case he kind of he hurts himself on his phone. Or John something. John is an awesome dude. Pete, I don't know as well, but John's an awesome dude. But, but the game, it was a solid game. And it like, was a great game, and Amanda had a great finish at the end there. I'm still confident that they can make a late run and get into the playoffs. What? I have no confidence. I, in what? How <laughs> many points? There's like a lot of points out. They have to win out. <laughs> Seven ge- I don't know why you're laughing. I made this point several times during the broadcast. Oh, I was highly that's because you're on the payroll. That's why you're making <laughs> no. that point. I think if they win out, 21 more points on the table, they'd finish with 43 and they could get in. Okay, no one's, no one's buying this. The coolest thing today was Dave Norman Jr. got an assist. And a yellow card. Well, that, oh, he's, that's he's gotten those before. Oh, that's yeah. expected. And both the I, Baldissimo brothers came on, and Noah Verhoeven was on the bench. And, and they're not twins. Oh, Noah, right. And they're not twins. They're the not twins. No, no. <laughs> no. I, d- I did mention that they were twins at one point. I went, well, they're not twins. I went twin magic, but they're not twins. <laughs> I, I still, I can still see that Dave Norman tackle against Chivas Youth at uh, Cloverdale Athletic Field. I, you, oh, you remember that? oh, oh still, yes. It was so full-blooded. But I've seen a few Baldy tackles as well, anyway. But it's time now. For BC's Soccer Web Headlines. Yes, time for BC Soccer Headlines. Um, obviously, by BC Soccer Web, you can find them on online, where they all provide links for international, national, and local news. And you found some really good stories this this week on the site. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about a couple of them for sure. Uh, a couple that uh, just missed the cut. Uh, there was a preview to the season. Uh, University of Victoria, you can find that there. But Bruce Wilson, it's 30th year with the University of Victoria. Got um, off to a bad start on Friday night. 5-1 hammering against Trinity Western. Yeah. Uh, Spartans. Great, great, uh, great article on The Guardian about how one family inspired like uh, kind of a village in Pakistan uh, kind of almost like it's a northern village kind of remote and they brought soccer there and they almost have a full league there it's really good and they were providing players for the national team now um, and then another great story about how uh, a non-profit for soccer startup is helping Canada's kind of uh, integrate getting new friends uh, kind of connecting in the um, environment that's happening in Toronto but first article uh, we're going to talk about is about it's actually a funny story. I, I think obviously uh, Lucas Podolski doesn't think it's very funny. <laughs> oh yeah, um, it's about Breitbart. It's a it's a right wing um, uh, site in in the U.S. and they used a photo of him on a I think it was a sea dude jet, scoot, yeah, jet, jet ski. ski or whatever, and um, just having a vacation. And they used that picture, and they were saying how they were. Um, Bringing immigrants, <laughs> yes. bringing them over the sea in order to, like into Spain, I think it was. To be fair, he is a left winger and they're not very fond of the <laughs> no. left. He, uh, yeah, it was bringing him to Spain, right? Yeah, yeah. because, 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 because what happened in Barcelona, right. that unfortunate right. like, attack, that happened, he, horrible he, attack. He's German international, but he's a Polish. He's yeah. a Polish fellow. 
So that, it, that was that, that that photo was hilarious. Yeah, and they and they and they, had, they did apologize and brought it back, but it, it, he's thinking about actually suing them as well. Sure, I, should, should. I, I should say their misuse of the photo is hilarious. Yeah. Yes, not not the whole site. Yeah. No. The uh, another article from four four two. It was about why charter flights could drive a wedge between owners and MLS and next in the next uh, CBA negotiations, and obviously that. Played a big part with Vancouver this week. Year, this week, sorry. Yeah. Because of what the delays they had to go through Houston and everything because of the, the twelve hours the door to door. There. But it's be- <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. But it's better, far better than what happened on the last trip to Houston, or sorry, last trip to Orlando. If you all remember, do you remember what happened last time? Um, Remind us. No. They, they they missed their connection oh, and they yes. had to sleep over in Houston yes. or Dallas or something. And they arrived. I think was it the morning of the game. Yeah. And they still pulled off a one 0 oh. victory. Thanks, Doctor. They should Rivera. be doing this regularly. Yeah. Well, no, but see, that's the attitude of those who don't want to pay for charter flights. Like, oh, you got the result anyway. Why, yeah. why should we spend the money on the charter no, flight? I, I thought they didn't want to buy the charter flight because it was all the reserve guys that were going. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not worth it. Yeah, Piccolo's I, going. I, yeah. I, I think, I think. Me Maybe a, a good medium would be if you need if you need to get a connecting flight, then you should be able to get a charter. If it's a direct flight, maybe not. You don't yeah, but need then a that would be a good rule. Yeah. But then, for example, I'm just Ken- that- Kansas City, every flight would be a charter. Yeah. Oh, they. I, I think yeah, there's no they, direct flights anywhere yeah, for them. They they kind of struggle there as well. But there are also in, they're in the middle of the of the country, so they their flights are not as long as everybody else's. True. Um, but do you think that that will play a big part? Do you think the players union will be going after that? There's, I've off, off, on behalf of the players, a couple times I've pondered writing something for AFTN about this, Michael, as I've maybe told you in the past, but like it is, it is an issue and there have been different uh, suggestions made by different people within the league on how to combat this. Uh, they obviously require money, uh, or commitment from owners, but well, yeah. there, so, the- well, that's, that's the big thing with the article. It's like the gap between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. This is an issue that would really hit Totally, that. totally. I, I, was someone, I was speaking with someone, I think it actually was Mr. Whitecaps. Um, I was speaking with him earlier this year, and, and we were talking, and I forget the numbers, but it was something like last year the, the Whitecaps had 14 away games where they had multiple stops or something, yeah. or it was not an ideal situation. This year, that number was down to like five. That's good. So that's good, but it's still not I, the ideal. I mean, we know we're a team that gets hit with lo- long, long travel and like some of the biggest miles covered in all MLS. But, and, and so there are different solutions. There, I, I was, I'd was, like to see it. Yeah, totally. Th- there should be more charters. And if they want to save some money, which they did for the trip to Dallas, they could get journalists, some fans to, to travel on the charter as well. Right. Yeah, there were a couple of cool collective guys it'll, on that It'll point. help the fans too because they won't uh, hold uh, No, but here's the thing though. When they did do that, when they did do that for the Dallas Cup match, they charge the supporters more than it costs to go on a regular plane. Yeah, I which I, under- that I understand that in some in some ways. Okay, yeah, it's a different than a normal flight, but it was not really worth it, right? In the in the end, but a couple guys went. They had a good time. So, uh, final article, and this one actually surprised me. I didn't see too much of this on Twitter at all, and I and and so I, I that's usually where I see most of the news. But this one caught, I found on BC Soccer Web: MLS playoffs get a four sub in extra time this year. It's basically when uh, after the ninety minutes go up and they play the uh, get into extra time to thirty minutes, they will get a fourth additional sub as long as they use the three subs in during the regular time. It no, has, I don't even think they have to have used the three. Oh, I'm not sure. I, I might have seen that somewhere, but um, they, they said that might be the the what one one of the possible reasons they do it. 
it's been used in the FA Cup, Scottish Cup, FIFA Confederations Cup, and FIFA Club World Cup. So they have used it other places. It's not the first place. Wait, Scotland has a cup? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. He's five won it in 1938. And you're still the celebrating. The lowest ranked team ever to win. Yeah, because this is our anniversary season. Right. That's so awesome. Uh, this makes some sense. Somewhat logical progression for the the, the Which not the a game. lot does in MLA. So, I mean, no, that's, a, that's no. a start. So, uh, can we take a tangent? I'm transparent. Yeah, transparent. Can we take a tangent from this? I, Go for it. Because I, I heard that when the story came out, I saw it. I heard in the last couple of days, the MLS has released the schedule for the playoffs. Yes. This is not good. No, it clashes with my wedding anniversary. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> so it, they're they're trying to avoid clashing with the NFL and college and whatever. Yeah. And so they're putting games on Tuesdays, Monday, Tuesday, wedding Wednesday, Thursdays, like normal, but less weekend, which is yeah. awful. And then there's still a big gap between the conference finals and the MLS Cup as well. Yeah, because they want to have TV to themselves. They want to get all 100,000 people in the States who watch it to watch it. For sure. I, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference, honestly. We'll, we'll, if, fi- we'll find out, I guess. But yeah. it's, you know what it is going to make a difference for? It's going to make a huge difference for away travel. Yeah. And that's, that's what's and most upsetting. One thing, which might seem a little bit far-fetched, but a, a genuine concern of mine with this fourth sub thing, which I do like, you could be at the 119th minute of a game. You've got a keeper on the bench that is a penalty save expert. Yeah. You've got your sub left, so you bring him on. It's like bringing on a special teams guy just for the penalty shootout. I like it. <sighs> that stinks to me. Or you bring on a guy who can take Or a guy that can, can take, take penalties, yeah. like really clinical. Or you get someone like Jose Luis Chilavert and you bring him on and he can save them and take them. Ooh. Anyway, but some really good stories there this week. BC Soccer Web is a partner of AFTN. Check them out every day for all your local news, links, national, international, everything you could want to find is there, bcsoccerweb.com. Now it's time, though, for our wavelength section of the show. And you're going to be surprised, Zach. We're going back in time. Shocking, that. Yeah. We're going back 30 years to 1987. We're half going back man, to half-man, half-biscuit. We haven't had half-man, half-biscuit on the show for 10 weeks. Chris Corrigan seems to think we have it on every second week, yeah. but we don't. But we're going back to 1987 this week, to their second album, back again in the DHSS. And this is a song about long-distance love affairs with Hungarian football teams. This is I Was a Teenage Armchair Onvid Fan. Yeah. Somewhat nil. I dreamt about a love affair in far off Budapest, the sort of thing that sugars every pill. I was a teenage armchair on that band. Like that, you see the woods. I was 
I'm sure on Vidfan by Half Man Half Biscuit there from their 1987 album Back Again in the DHSS. So, so Zach, just to let you know, when I'm pulling down the uh, sound on the song, hey, I, I hey, could be pressing hey, it at any when, point. When we're rocking out to what's this called? When we're rocking out to wavelength, we don't. We're not looking at the board, my okay. friend. Okay. That song's for Peter Zimmerman, the only Hungarian I know. I don't think he's a Hanvid supporter, though. Probably not. No. But you can just picture the. In days gone by, you'd see a romantic team name like Budapest Honved, and then you, you kind of follow them from afar. There's probably people, maybe even in Hungary, that are teenagers and armchair Whitecaps fans. There's probably well, some band in Hungary just now recording a version, I was a teenage armchair Whitecaps fan. Well, Peter's son, Peter, is a teenager. and Is he in a band? Can he sing? Oh, I don't know about that, but... It- you think he would say he supports the white cat? Well, let's get him to record a song about it. Anyway, that is pretty much about all for this episode of the show. A little bit of a late start. We still haven't been able to find Yolandi Visser. I really wanted to know if she had the munchies enough to fancy a chocolate digestive, but it doesn't look like she has. I w- if I'd thought ahead, we could have got her live in the studio. Who is she again? Lead singer of Die Antwoord. The reason why we got you late. Right. Brilliant techno band oh. from South Africa okay you n- never heard any of their songs no I, would they, have they been on Wavelength they were on Dave Letterman's show where oh. she wore these amazing kind of oh then I might have seen that no. ah she was really good anyway just before we go let everyone know where they can find you online you can find me on Twitter at Whitecapsbeat I'm at Zachary AM and I'm part of the Movement Cover Collective I'm Michael McCall you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Also, the Whitecaps beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and the colour commentator for WFC2, TSS Rovers, and UBC from this season. 
AFTN is providing the commentary for UBC men's soccer games. So if you can't get out and watch the action live, listen to us. Pay for your subscription to CanadaWest.tv and you can hear myself, Gideon, Thomas Bryan, a few more of the AFTN crew. We'll be back next week with a special round table. Got a couple of guests, at least one special guest that we're going to bring on. A couple of good interviews lined up as well. So until then, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the caps. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.